AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldis.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly, Chief Customer Officer at Aldis International. Today's guest is Leif Lumbeek. Leif is the CEO and founder of Zane. Welcome to the show, Leif. Many thanks for having me here. Leif, let's jump straight into it. Tell us a little bit about your background uh, starting off in your career and down how Zane came along. So, yeah, I actually started my, my background more in, in, in research. So I'm a trained mathematician and, uh, well, during my research career in, uh, in Oxford and, and, and later also Imperial College, um, I, um, well, met also my PhD supervisor, um, Professor Michael Hoot, um, and we had, um, well, kind of like a very common understanding that uh, we wanted to kind of give also well, Europe in, in particular, like an alternative to, um, well, all the kind of like invasive um, structures that you will find in, in, in machine learning or in AI when it comes to extracting really data and being like extremely data hungry in a way um, and, and collecting as much data as possible from, from humans and also from machines and so on. And well, in, in practice, we, we found that this is, um, in, in, in many situations, not really possible, especially for, um, well, a, a union like Europe, where, you, where we have completely different values uh, to, to, for example, um, compared, for example, to China. So, and uh, we wanted to develop, in a way, a foundation or technical and, and a theoretical foundation to an alternative um, to these kind of processes and in, in many aspects, actually. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we started um, uh, this kind of, um, uh, I, I started really my, my career in, in, in academia and I, back then, so that was like in 2013, 14, I, I didn't really even think about uh, uh, founding a company or so um, around it. So I, I was rather really more on the theoretical basis or mathematical basis of, of, um, of this. And uh, well, I mean, this, this step-by-step kind of evolved because we, we were uh, working also very closely with industry. And, and this is, I think, one of the, um, the clear advantages that, for example, also the Imperial College really brings um, in London, um, that this kind of like very close collaboration with industry partners um, uh, gives you also the opportunity to kind of not only think about like some, some kind of like crazy algorithms or so, but to actually also try this out in practice and, and kind of find what is like the, the real world problem behind it and how can you really solve this um, with not only like a theoretical basis but also uh, thinking about um, technical measures like scalability, like um, integration, adoptability and, uh, and, and how does all these kind of like practices really work um, in an industry scenario. And, and this is, I think, where, where I step-by-step step, through this kind of research and collaboration with uh, really great companies like, uh, like, like Mercedes or later also Porsche, which also was published, for example, um, this let, let me, I would say, like step-by-step step to uh, kind of founding like suddenly a company uh, uh, because it just made sense. Uh, it wasn't really like a, 
um, oh yeah, I, I have this plan now. It was just like, I kind of, I, I kind of like found myself uh, in this situation suddenly. And uh, it was like pretty interesting because first of all, I mean, we had actually no idea uh, uh, because like uh, uh, also my co-founder, uh, Professor Michael Hood was more, I would say like an academic, but, um, but we were very lucky that we had also um, uh, one of my other co-founders, Felix Harman, who um, was coming more from, from the uh, industry side, really. And I think together we, we kind of figured it out uh, relatively quickly by, by practice how to um, really be an entrepreneur and not only like an academic. And, uh, and this transitioning, I mean, was relatively rapid. I think we, we kind of learned a lot uh, uh, alongside really or along the way and uh, uh, I mean made heaps of mistakes <laughs> I would say um, but I think this is like really part of the learning process and uh, well at the end I think it, it, it worked out very well and uh, so so yeah I think I think my my, my career in, in, in that sense so far is like really like a mixture of uh, academics and uh, entrepreneurship in a way and, uh, and, and and coming from theoretical practice to now, I mean, uh, focusing to kind of uh, bring them uh, into an application, and uh, so I'm, I'm acting in Xane also as a uh, as a product owner. Um, so not only as a CEO, uh, so not only thinking like strategically, but also how can I really um, get this into um, a, a working product? And uh, so this is, I think, pretty interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think um, uh, it's uh, so far, I mean, I, I, I can only say really I learned a lot. <laughs> so much to talk about. Tell us about the importance of defining the problem, really understanding the problem that you're solving. I mean, like um, the, the process of, of uh, finding uh, this, this problem is, is usually, I would say, in combination with customers or with users in a way. So, um, I mean, I think, I mean, in the first place, it's, it's usually like in a way like vision driven. And so, I mean, we have like a very particular vision, but this also comes from our own experience and from the experience of uh, our customers or users um, in a way. So, um, and I mean, something that, um, well, when we started to, to think about how can we uh, build a foundation or an infrastructure to overcome really privacy trade-offs in machine learning or data analytics in, uh, in itself, we were uh, actually, I mean, also thinking about this kind of um, problem that you will always see or that still, I mean, you, you really see a lot in, in, in practice. You have really, really nice uh, digital services um, that are all about convenience, right? So you have starting with Google, which really personalizes your search to make it really, really attractive and, and appealing and, and fast uh, so that you have basically unique results for yourself. Or think about um, Netflix, basically um, personalizing the experience of how you, um, um, how, or, or what kind of movies you really particularly like to watch, right? Um, or even going one step further, I mean, like in the recent discussions, you, we were discussing a lot about, uh, uh, for example, services like Instagram or especially now TikTok, uh, which I think go like an even higher level of, um, of um, personalization in terms of AI, uh, which means that basically they leverage 
all of the uh, user data to such an extent that they know exactly um, what a user wants to see or watch. Um, and, and, and this is, I think, um, a fundamental problem in itself because, I mean, these kind of services think only about convenience. And obviously, I mean, they're very, very good at leveraging user data to such an extent that they can deliver such services. And then you have basically, I would say, the more uh, nerdy approach, if you will, or the more technical approach where people think, well, I actually don't want to give away all of my data. I don't want you to understand uh, who exactly I am because this gives obviously not only uh, privacy threats, but privacy threats um, can become also other threats. There can become threats where companies like Facebook or um, ByteDance in, 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 um, with, with its service TikTok can potentially influence um, elections. They can influence what people think. And, and, and I think this is, this is particularly interesting because that's their core business model, actually. When you think about personalized advertising, then it is about showing people exactly um, what you know they would watch, but also showing them content in order to influence them into a buying decision. But what, what does buying decision really mean? I mean, obviously when it's like relatively harmless about like selling products, then that might be still okay. But when it comes to, well, buying basically the consent of users to decide about things in particular um, concerning democracy, then I think this becomes relatively dangerous. And, and I think privacy is, is in a way like the, the fundament, it's a, it's a fundamental human right. And, and therefore people, there is, there's, a, there's a huge demand from people from, for alternative services. And there, and there has been already in the recent years for all sorts of like convenience driven services, there has been um, the evolution of a counterpart, which is only like a privacy driven service. Think about Google and Dr. Go, for example where basically you leave aside basically all the data tracking, you leave aside basically all the um, leveraging of, of user data to such an extent that you can um, make more efficient and better decisions. You can show them more relevant content. You can let them find things faster. Uh, you can basically keep them uh, engaged in a way, uh, what users obviously want. Um, but if you leave all this aside, then basically you only deliver like a fundamental service without uh, a convenience-driven service. And this is obviously something that, um, well, some people um, really, really want, or basically they, they just don't like uh, that they have to give up their privacy. So, and, and if they have very strong feelings about it, they basically switch to the service. But it's unfortunately just a very, very low percentage of the population because these services, unfortunately, are not really convenient because they usually lack this level of, of data leverage, which usually leads to convenience. And this is a huge problem because we see um, two sides of a metal, really. You see privacy-driven companies on the one side and convenience-driven companies on the other side. And we actually thought, uh, and this is really particular of vision in a way, how can we really overcome this kind of trade-off? Does this have to be a trade-off? Can, can't we just build privacy-driven products that have the same level of convenience as, as purely convenience-driven products? And, and how can we really uh, end this trade-off? 
And this is where we, um, where we created our technology as the basis in order to uh, develop um, such products that are truly convenient and truly privacy preserving at the same time. But of course, you have to understand also the user needs um, when it comes to convenience uh, to uh, a very large degree. And, and we want to bring this technology basically to mainstream. We want to make privacy a mainstream fundament for all services. Tell us a little bit about the framework, the Zaynet, to bridge the gap between privacy and convenience to AI, because the reality is, is most people sign up to things without actually looking at the terms and conditions because they haven't got the time or effort. And a lot of these terms and conditions can be three to six pages in length. You'd need a, a proper lawyer to actually be able to go through and a fine tooth comb. So tell us a little bit more about how you actually built out the framework and then um, also the importance of that personalization. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> as a funny note, you should look at our terms and conditions, um, uh, especially of the service that we built um, on, on, uh, on top of Xanet, uh, which is basically a one-liner. It's basically saying, well, we don't track anything. We don't have to track anything, but we can s deliver the same level of, of convenience. And um, well, Xanet itself um, is, is, a, is an open source, federated cross-device learning framework. That is, 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 sounds maybe complicated, but what it basically does, well, it's also complicated what it does, but um, essentially what it does is that we, instead of um, first extracting the data from all user devices, whether this means browsers or whether this means mobile phones or whether this means cars or, or even smaller devices, we, we basically keep all the data where it is and rather bring the algorithm to the data first. And I mean, this sounds, First, like a very, very easy concept. I mean, why, why haven't you th thought earlier about it? But the thing is, um, the realization of, of this kind of um, concept is, is pretty complex because you have to deal with a lot of, of problems. Think about um, doing the algorithmics, which means which can mean really from, from simple analytics to complex machine learning and, and training of, an, of, of a new model. Um, and doing that on a device level is, is first of all um, problematic in terms of energy consumption. You have to know the data. You have to, you have to implement more code on the user level side. So you have to make this extremely simple so that the user uh, simply doesn't really have to, or I mean the, the, the creator of such software doesn't really have to do much. It doesn't have to understand what's, what's basically behind it. So first of all, it means you have to do this in a very, very simple way. Secondly, you have to take care about, um, well, not all user devices being online at the same time. So you have to kind of, so, so you, you don't have um, an immediate consistency at, at all time, but you rather have to think about eventual consistency so that eventually everyone is at the same page, right? And you have to think about processing all of this information asynchronously and not basically at the same time, because you, 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 you have to think about millions of devices communicating um, with a central unit. Because if you put the algorithmics on the device, so think about training a machine learning model on device level, you have to basically aggregate this knowledge. So you leave, a, you leave basically all the user data on the device level and you rather aggregate only the knowledge. So only the trained, locally trained models, you aggregate them into a common knowledge and then redistribute them to the devices eventually, and then you start over. And, and this is, um, and, and eventually basically everyone 
learns from each other without actually sharing the data. And I think this is a very beautiful concept, but the technical realization was extremely complex and it took us years to actually realize that, um, to, to really implement it. It's, and ref it's refreshing that you talk about that with such candor and the, you know, one line privacy document and you know, people should get used to that. They should get used to this type of mindset versus the other type of mindset and the complexity that you've actually had to undergo to get to where you're at. Um, now, tell us a little bit more about some of the trade-offs, latency, size, performance, energy, about Edge AI. The, the thing is really, I mean, you have to understand um, what you want to do. You can um, uh, often, I mean, when you think about um, cloud applications, um, I think there's a lot of waste. There is, there's really a lot of waste in terms of um, computational power because you can just do it. And um, obviously on device level, you cannot perform a 48 layer um, uh, BERT model, multilingual BERT model, for example, for uh, natural language understanding. Um, you, you cannot do that simply, but you can actually um, distill such models or you can think about mobile versions of such models that are small enough and efficient enough to actually run on a mobile phone and you have to think about how do you put the labeling on the device level? And this is, I think, in Edge AI, uh, a very, very complex um, method. So if you only want to operate your machine learning, you don't really have to think about it so often um, or so much. Um, but if you want to train also locally, which is basically the next level, then, um, then this becomes a, a real issue. Also, um, and this is, I think, um, one very important point to add, because this is um, when it comes to federated learning, something that many people forget. Federated learning itself doesn't make um, anything privacy preserving, because if you just get a, a local model, an update of an individual user, and you see this local update in clear text, well, then it's uh, actually pretty easy to regenerate uh, the local data set. So we had to get um, go even one step further, and we had to um, apply um, a partial homomorphic um, encryption concept um, to in com or in com combination with federated learning um, by encrypting also the local models and aggregating encrypted models by not losing also the underlying information. And this is, I think, like a, it, this is a, one of the most complex um, cases here because you have to do this in this very, very scalable way. So you have to scale over millions of devices and the problem with pure homomorphic encryption is really that um, computations on an homomorphic um, homomorphically um, encrypted data set is extremely complex and, and really energy um, uh, consuming. Um, so what we do is basically first um, performing the algorithmics on device level and then doing the encrypt encryption and then doing the aggregation, which is like a very efficient um, operation in, in the context of homomorphic encryption. And um, so, this is, uh, so this adds basically up to this kind of complexity here. However, it, sound, it might sound frightening or so, and or, well, maybe, maybe privacy is not so important for me, so I'd rather do this on the cloud level and so. But let me tell you also that actually, um, we achieved a framework which is really simple to use. You act, it's, it's basically like um, integrating something like Firebase. It's integrating just an SDK, but you have to think obviously about how do you do the training? How do you do the algorithmics and so on? And, and this, might, this might be a bit more complex, but it really pays off because if you think about Europe 
as a as as a um, as a complex of of common values also, it will become t more tough basically or tougher for companies to operate like they do right now, like Google operates here, like Facebook operates here. It will be very very tough times, and you will have to spend more and more money on. Uh, legal sides really and do you really have want to do this or do you want to rather spend more money on uh, the technical side to get to a very very nice fundament and to really not only bring your customers and your consumers um, a nice digital service but to deliver them also the nice feeling that their privacy is protected and that you can actually um, that, that you have like a really nice trust um, uh, between them instead of rather throwing lawyers on, on, on problems and, and uh, uh, going into trials like Facebook is, right, um, is doing right now. And I think this is really, uh, this, this should be really like um, the thinking behind it. When you have trust as the foundation of everything you do from the start, everything becomes a lot more straightforward. And we, we've seen that when people are creating their products with companies we recruit with day to day, when they have that as the foundation, it makes it a lot more straightforward than if it comes in near the end. And we've seen with some of the law, lawsuits, the, the costs of these are going to start to become so high that companies will have no other choice to yeah. rethink what they're, what they're looking to do. And um, it's, it's fantastic to see we talk about the simplicity because things can get overcomplicated very quickly. And the end user usually has to pay for that complications because the costs associated. So I'm really, you know, really interested in terms of how the company moved from a research-focused company to a product-based company. You know, you kind of talked about that pivot in terms of being suddenly becoming trust into entrepreneurs and the structural change, mm. some of the challenges around that. And probably maybe what the benefits of a kind of having a strong research background, because there's probably a, several people listening to this podcast now who come from the strong research background and technically very, very good, but probably lack the confidence to go forward mm. to, the, to the next stage. Well, to be honest, I can only say to this, just do it. And um, I mean, obviously, I mean, there is, there's a lot of um, resources that, that might help you, a lot of trainings, a lot of, I, I mean, podcasts uh, like this, but at the end, I mean, I think you have to just figure it out yourself. You have to, you have to find it out. And uh, I mean, think about obviously always um, the, the customer and, and think about how can you, with your research and where you come from, how can you really solve a, a problem and how can you make um, the solution of this problem understandable? Um, and I think sometimes um, research um, or research-driven people, um, I think, have also like an advantage in in, uh, in, in building a product-based company. It's not only uh, the like a disadvantage, and so that you that you might, um, I don't know, uh, that you might uh, find yourself um, not being able to to put something into production or so. Well, I think this is there's a lot of solutions to that. There is a lot of processes. There is um, there is. From, from agile methodologies um, uh, to actually getting also people that have the experience. So um, tr try to get those people, right, very quickly that have the experience to put something from research into production. And I think on the technical level, this is, this is very challenging. And 
but it's, it's doable. So don't just get only people from research. So we have, I think, like quite a good balance between 30% uh, roughly uh, PhDs and 70% uh, um, people from a normal um, production-based engineering background. But also research really helps you in trying to figure out the nitty-gritty details of how to solve a particular problem and describing that and, and trying to make this understandable to people. And obviously, I mean, you have to, you have to make it also not only understandable for other researchers, but also for, uh, for, the, for, for mainstream people. But nevertheless, I think this kind of research-driven um, uh, mindset can certainly be a nice combination. And I think we also see that right now, uh, especially in the deep tech um, sector, more and more companies have a nice composition of um, research-based people and um, production-based people. So um, the composition, I think, uh, wins at the end. Um, and we have kind of like ended the times where um, you, you can just like build an e-commerce company um, from, from a pure business background and you don't really have to understand um, how it works uh, and so on. But I think this, this, really, uh, this really helps in, in solving the fundamental modern day problems right now. Thank you, thank you, Leif. Leif, tell us a little bit about the product public launch of Zane and how more about that. Sure. So, um, well, I mean, um, I've talked about um, Xanet and how we built basically the fundament to solve this kind of trade-off between convenience and privacy for all sorts of applications. But we also wanted to go one step further and we wanted to do this ourselves as well because we saw that especially in the search engine market, we have really this kind of big difference between Google on the one side, which is only convenience driven and obviously has a, has a very, very nice application in a way and, and everybody uses it. And then things like, for example, DuckDuckGo on the other side, which are purely privacy driven and, and obviously do a very, very big effort in that. And, um, and, and I think we're extremely thankful to, to what they deliver. But we think that we want to drive basically also the mainstream adoption in terms of having a privacy driven product that also delivers convenience. And we thought, well, why don't we create our own search engine that also combines convenience, so AI-driven convenience, with a privacy-driven fundament. So we created Xane as the, as, the, as the application layer of XaneNet and as a search assistant that sits directly on your device level to personalize your search experience based on your interactions with you having basically the full control because you can, through simple swipe interactions, you can, you can basically decide what goes as relevance into the AI and what goes as irrelevance into the AI. So you have basically the full control, but at the same time, your search assistant helps you to, to really um, personalize the experience of your search results. So you get basically only what is interesting to you and you leave out what is not interesting to you in order to find better and quicker the results that you really want. And, uh, and this is what we, um, what we also publicly launch. And we are very, very interested what, um, what people really think of this because we think that this is a fundamental change into what's happening before in all sorts of application areas. And there's so many of that, starting from maps um, where you see 
uh, for example, Google Maps being like also a very, very convenient service or where you see this in, in, uh, in social networks as well. But we wanted to start really in the search engine market because we think that this is one of the fundamental problems where AI is, is helping so much. It has led to, to Google being the dominant player in the market. But we want to also show people that for Europe, especially with our values, there is an alternative. And, and we want to be basically the alternative to Google for the European market, which has the same level of convenience, but privacy as the very fundament. So it sits directly on your device, all your data stays on your device, but people learn from each other automatically without even having um, to do anything in that, um, uh, on, 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 on that aspect. But basically you have the full control over everything here. And this I think is also a very important aspect because transparency, controllability, in combination with AI will be, I think, also a game changer because you, you already see what's happening in the US election with um, all of the kind of um, problems associated with intransparent algorithms and with companies sitting on the data and the algorithms in order to influence basically what people see and, and potentially influencing um, uh, election campaigns. And this is obviously something that we cannot accept in Europe. And therefore, our search engine, uh, I think, is a, is a very good alternative um, to the processes um, that have been happening so far. It's a really exciting time. Um, I'm, I personally can't wait to see the results that actually come and the adoption uh, from that. We'll make sure to put more details on the links on our website. You've been listening to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly, Chief Customer Officer at All This International. Today, we've delighted to have Leif Luntebeek, CEO and founder of Zane, on the show today. Leif, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks a lot for, uh, for your time as well. And uh, it was an awesome conversation, I think. AI in Action is brought to you by All This International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. All This offer an exec search program. All this can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all its members. And don't forget our AI on Action podcast. Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.